Hi Onyx fam, welcome to the Onyx Life where change comes with challenge. My name is Merthel. And I'm Rita. Every episode we take you on a journey moving you from the struggle life to the Onyx life, creating happy homes and financial empires. Today we're going to be talking about the seven habits of highly effective people. So isn't seven habits of highly effective people kind of an old book? It is, but it still has quite a few good principles. I, I know like a lot of the books that we have discussed so far and um, books that we're we're going to be discussing, they are oldies, but they're goodies. Yeah. But so the point I'm trying to make really is that these principles that we're talking about on a daily basis, they just they transcend time. They absolutely they transcend culture. They transcend, um, you know, a lot of things that a lot of boxes that we try to put it in. And if you live by these principles, you can really have a better life. One of the reasons why I like the seven habits of highly effective people is that it really speaks to the Onyx life because it's not just talking about financial empires, but it's also talking about happy homes and true happiness. You know, one of the things I realized is that money cannot make you happy. It will not make you happy. You actually have to be happy. So I'm, I'm happy not because I have money. I'm happy because I already was happy. You know, happiness comes from within. Happiness comes through a choice. It's thought processes. It's the way that you process your life and what happens to you and how do you how you process things. And so many people determine that they will be happy. They have chosen that they're going to be happy. And so but uh, money can make you comfortable. But um, but as far as happy that, you know, and so. Um, this particular book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, these are principles that if you put it in your life, it will help you to experience true joy, true happiness, true peace, it, both in your home and in, in whatever uh, financial endeavors that you're doing. Hmm. So let's start with the first one, habit number one. So the habit number one um, that I think that we have adopted and these are these are by the way We want to let you know that we have adopted many of these habits And so it has played a significant role in who we are today And so that's the reason why we choose to share this with you because you know, these are habits that we have adopted in our life And so habit number one is to be Proactive now to be proactive one of the words that he sort of um, manipulated um, responsibility and he says to be proactive is to take responsibility of your life. And then he breaks the word into two words, response and ability. And he says, you have the ability to respond to your own life in the way that you need to. And that's what taking responsibility is. So there may be factors that you cannot control or change in your life but you can control how you relate to it. You have the ability to response, the response ability. Well, I like that. So response dash ability, two words, right? Two words and how you respond. I see here. There's an example reactive. He makes me so mad proactive. I control my own feelings, right? So a lot of people are blamers and they are, you know, victims. And a lot of people choose to live their life that way. So one of the things that um, that a person may choose to say would be, you know, I could not help it. They did this to me. Um, there are some things that you may not be able to change, like you can't change where you were born. If you were born in Canada, then you cannot say 
I wanted to be born in the United States. Or, so you were born where you were born. You're born in Europe. You're born in Africa. You're born in China. Whatever. You can't change where you were born. And there may there may be some some type of consequence that you believe um, results from where you're born, or or whether you were born black or white, or whether you're born male or female, whatever the case may be. But the question now, when it says to be proactive versus be reactive, is is that you can then determine that no matter where I am born or how I was born or who I am, I can take response ability. I have the ability to respond a different way, whether you were born an orphan and you don't know your parents or they abandoned you or or you were from a divorced family or whatever heartache, whatever pain, whatever situation that you were placed in, whatever handicap that you were given, you have the ability to respond. Well, I think about it too in terms of money. I think when we were reactive is when we started losing a lot of things. It was like, this bill is due. I better try to find the money to pay for it. This other bill is due. Oh boy, what are we going to do? Should we go get a payday loan? And it was just juggling and not not really taking a good look at our finances. And right. what could we do to be proactive instead of reacting every month to a worsening situation? Absolutely. And just to mention that payday loan, when we started getting caught up in that, if anybody is listening and they're contemplating you know, being reactive as opposed to proactive and looking ahead and making decisions, you know, good decisions and taking responsibility. Do not get involved in payday loans. They tanked us. I mean, it's, you know, you start, you say, okay, I'm going to get this loan. I can just take my paycheck, pay it back to get caught back up again. And then you get into a cycle. I remember we ended up, um, and we're talking about, you know, whether you're going to be proactive or reactive. Um, Payday loans do not solve the problem. It is a very, very reactive type of decision making. Um, proactive would be to make a decision that was going to benefit your family in the long run. It may not be the easiest choice, but it'll benefit. But we ended up with um, up to four or five payday loans. I would go every paycheck. <laughs> I would literally go to approximately three or four payday loans and pay one with the other, pay one with the other, pay one with the other, pay one with the other. So I'd always have to be in the cycle of taking out, always leaving me even further in debt. Until we just couldn't pay any of them anymore. Right. So now a payday loan wasn't even an option, which should have never been an option. Absolutely. But even eventually that became no option. And it was like, are we going to continue to just stay reactive to the situation? Mm -hmm. Instead of being behind the situation, we need to be in front. We need to be in front of we the situation. We need to be in front of this and get control. You know, um, that's just one example, you know. Um, like when, as a parent, when my children say or do something, you know, that's one of the ultimate tests of whether you're going to be reactive or proactive. And my thought is that I struggle. I struggle like a lot of mothers do. And I try to be more proactive. So, you know, I try to see 10 steps ahead. If I see, you know, <laughs> if I see behavior that I've seen, let's see, with my firstborn, I see it in my second or third or fourth, you know, I feel like it gives me a lot of room to now 
be proactive so that I can now react better. And I think that, and, and I'm saying react better, but I'm just saying that we need in every area of our lives to be more proactive. Absolutely. Don't wait till you get sick before you start taking care of yourself. Don't wait till you lose your job before you before you start, you know, finding other ways to make money. Don't wait before your marriage ends because you you're distant, you're not intimate anymore. You don't like to spend time together. Don't wait till it ends. Be proactive. Right. Get on top of it and work it out because Absolutely. just putting your head in the sand is just not a good response and the problem's still there and 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 don't be a victim see reactive is victim mentality that there is somebody out there that is going to impact on you i am not saying that there are not some challenges that you could face as a woman there's not challenges that you could face as a minority in a particular place there are not challenges that you could face as a handicapped person i'm not saying that i'm not saying that there is not some challenges that you face coming from a divorced family or from a, a a place where your father has abandoned you or whatever these are these are tough things and they are tough realities but for every one person that you can say well this was my story and this is the reason why i am the way that i am and this is the reason why i can't get this or i can't get that i will show you somebody who went through the exact same thing and chose a different path on how they were going to deal with their life that's proactive that is saying that I'm not going to focus on the problems outside of me that will stop me. I am going to focus within myself as to how I can overcome any challenge that that faces me. That's right. You know, I look back on our relationship and our, you know, the finances, because, you know, we're, this is what mostly this podcast is about. And I there were times where I was very proactive because there would be jobs where you know, I just could see this is not going well. I need to start looking for another job. Because, you know, there's always a cycle. It's not like I was in a perfect situation and I was proactively looking for another job. But what I'm saying is I didn't wait. I didn't wait like a lot of my coworkers waited. Um, but, you know, I, I should have been looking from, I think, you know, even 10 years ago about ways that I could have been making money so that when those hospitals closed down or when I left a job, I wasn't left without any money. Being proactive as an adult really means to take your finances into your hands. I have to say, whether or not you want to work a nine to five or, or not, or you want to be an entrepreneur, regardless, you have to have something where you have some income going on the side and you are not completely dependent. That's being proactive about your life because life is just getting harder and harder and harder. I was watching the reboot of Roseanne today. The sad part about it is the house looks exactly the same. The children are, their, their families have broken apart. Well, the older one, Becky, I guess her, in, her husband died in the show. And in real life, the actor that played Becky's husband, he did pass away. But then you have Darlene who moved back. You know, you have um, them, the, the sister, she's still a mess, um, Jackie. And what's sad too is that they're all worried about money. There's no progression. And it just is like, 
if this is what's representative of real America, then we've got a problem and something has to change. And you can't wait for people to now bail you out. And you can't wait for people to tell you um, this is what you should be doing. You gotta go and you gotta be proactive and you gotta look for yourself because this, situ this situation that we're in here, it, it's not getting better for most people. And so we say, oh, you know, we're living this onyx life and we're happy, we're doing this and we're doing that. Well, it's new for us. And if I can help someone get on a better financial page a lot faster than we did, then, you know, I feel like I would have accomplished a whole lot. Right. Um, this, this whole, this whole um, idea of a person not being in control and looking to blame, it's just so pervasive. And, I, and I'm so glad that the book started off with Be Proactive because I think we're teaching each generation how to be victims or to, to, to have some type of excuse as to why they cannot, why something has happened to them and they have no control over their life. Um, I think about relationships. And when I was doing counseling, um, especially when I would be doing premarital counseling, I would always start off with one of my first sessions being about how, what is the formula for a successful relationship? Would you, do you believe that you need to be the right person or do you think that you need to find the right person? And consistently, um, and of course, that is a trick question because there's no bad answer. There's just a better answer. Um, because, of course, when it comes to relationships, both individuals have to be right. You have to be the right person and you have to find the right person. But what was most important was the question. And the true answer is to be the right person. Because at the end of the day, you know, the buck stops with you. You have to be ready for marriage. You have to be ready for commitment. You have to be ready for what it takes to be in a love relationship with somebody. Because if circumstances changes and it alters what had been before, like I remember there was this, this um, a story about um, a couple where they got into an accident and it completely changed the girl's personality to the point where she even forgot that she was married and forgot who he was. The vow. It was called a vow. And at, in that situation, that person is not the same person that you married, yet you are still the right person. You're still married to that person. And so your commitment to that person still needs to be there. And so, you know, the question is, what is it better when it comes to a relationship? Be the right person or find the right person? And absolutely. It's be the right person. But we've been teaching our girls from the youngest of ages. You got to find the right person. You know, you have that, you know, all the things about the prince in all the fairy tales and you have to find that perfect person. And even in the reverse, how the guy was looking for the princess for the perfect fit shoe. And it, if it wasn't her, it couldn't be anybody else. Almost as to, you know, to say that, you know, it's only the right person. But when you look at this formula, um, you know, it, it, it's usually um, a formula not for success because it just at the end of the day, you're going to find yourself in, in, in trouble. Um, the next thing that um, people often say is you need to fall in love. Well, that's not a good formula to fall in love. Falling is not even a thing that that connotates something that you have control over. 
So people love these concepts of, well, I fell in love with him, but now I've fallen out of love with him. Almost like this thing called love relationships just happens to you and you can't help it. You can't help what happens to you. But the real concept that we need to embrace is not to fall in love. We need to walk in love. We need to be conscientious. We need to be determined. We need to we need to be purposeful. A loving relationship is something that is intentional. And so instead of thinking this whole concept of finding the right person and falling in love, we have to be the right person. We need to walk in love. We need to, we need to be intentional. We need to know where we're going because when you're walking, you know where you're going mm-hmm. and you have to take responsibility. And then the other concept that kind of follows behind that is you place all your hopes and dreams in that one person. So you find the right person, you fall in love, you place all your hopes and dreams in them. Well, you know, eventually that's just not going to work. You know, eventually at some given point in time, you know, your your hopes are going to be shattered. And so you need something that is more enduring. You need to be you need to be able to place your hopes and your dreams in something that is more long lasting. And one of the things I suggest in counseling usually is, you know, place your hopes and dreams in the one that created love, created relationships. And I and I always encourage them that there is a divine creator who created, you know, us to love and he has a rule and he has a manual. And so I kind of guide in that in that kind of way, because that path of being the right person, walking in love and placing your hopes and dreams, in the one that created this concept of relationship. These are foundational principles that that are sure. And it helps you to take responsibility as opposed to this whole concept of I have to find the right person, fall in love and place my hopes and dreams in them, which will be shattered. And how we know that this is an enduring principle is that at the end of the day, these both of these principles or both of these pathways are going to be tested. Either it's going to be one way or another. Either it's going to be find the right person or it's going to be be the right person. Either it's going to be fall in love or it's going to be walk in love. Either it's going to be place your hopes and dreams in that person or place your hopes and dreams and your faith in the one who created it all. And at the end of the day, it's tested by trials and tribulations. I, I don't know a Christian or a person who is a believer in God. I don't know uh, a person who does not believe in God to r- in relationships that does not come into trials. Christian relationships come in trials. Um, people that don't believe in God relationships come into trial. It will always come into trial. And then the question becomes now, now where, which relationship is going to stand the test of time? Is it going to be the one that is always looking for the right person? Well, you know, all you do is repeat the steps now. These are the steps. Something bad happens in your relationship. Well, why don't you go to step number one? Well, if you are doing it one way and you're saying find the right person, the first thing that you're going to do when something bad happens is you're going to go back and you'll be like, well, it's not the right person. And guess what? I fell in love. Now I've fallen out of love. It happened to me. You know, this just happened. I can't control it. And you know what? They let me down. But when you follow a different path, when you follow the path of taking responsibility, you recognize that when trials come in your relationship, you may not be able, when you're proactive, you're not saying he makes me so mad. You're saying I can control my feelings. Now he is who he is. How can I be the right person in this situation? And how can I walk in love? How can I take the appropriate steps to rectify this? And it may even include, you know, holding that person accountable, but still walking in love. And then, you know, when things are so insurmountable and you don't know where to go, 
it's always I always encourage that you place your hopes and dreams in someone that is outside of the situation that has the the impact. And I and I always encourage um, the couples that 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 person is God. And so so these are kind of like some of the principles that I have taught. And it's so it's not just being proactive is not just something that can help in your business, but it certainly can help in your family relationships, because what we want is not for you to just be building financial empires. We want you to also have happy homes. Wow, that's awesome. So habit number one, be proactive, be proactive. So habit number two, begin with the end in mind begin with the end in mind. So I really like the analogy that they had in the book. I don't know if you remember it about the airplane. No. It was saying in the book that um, every flight um, begins with uh, the, their starting point and then they begin with a final destination. So, you know, you're going on vacation and you're heading to, let's just say, Jamaica. The pilot knows they have to get to Jamaica. The problem with many flights is that there is turbulence and that there are storms that you have to go around or you have to go above. And there are sometimes other planes come into the pathway and you're <laughs> well, that's maybe in a country that's not being monitored properly, but right. Or something, you know, may, something may happen, maybe a bird, a bird, maybe a flock of bird or something. And so you need to go around. But this is just in travel. And sometimes you have to go off the path at times. But if you have a destination that is already plugged in just because your flight kind of deviated here and there you still get to your destination we still get to go our, to go to our vacation spot we still get to go to that business spot that you had been planning even though that there were storms and turbulence and that's the same thing in life in relationships in businesses there are a ton of things that are going to come into your path and it's going to cause you to have to veer off course but if you have locked in that final destination, you simply just course correct. You go around it. You, you deal with it. You deal with these challenges. You deal with these roadblocks. And you don't say, I'm turning back because there's a storm. You know, you still get to go where your relationship and your marriage was supposed to go. You still get to bring be that parent to your child. You don't you don't just have to give up on, on parenting because they're going through the their terrible twos or they're going through the horrific teen years and uh, same thing with, you know, your businesses, you know, there's tons of things that you go through and you just have to have the good end in mind. I agree because, you know, there's a lot of examples of what we can talk about with like a final destination in our heads. For example, um, at the end of the day, you want to live financially free. At the end of the day, you want to be able to, um, purchase your own house at the end of the day you want to be able to get this business up and rolling i mean there's a lot of things that we could talk about that will that you can say this is what you want at the end i think a lot of people want to live carefree and they want to say hey whatever happens happens and as things come like you said i'm just going to go course correct and i think a lot of people are either a scared to actually write and believe what they want their final you know plan to be the, at the end of the road and others you know are unsure they don't even know so it's kind of hard for some people to listen to this and say well I don't know what I want at the end of this so you can tackle this in small chunks or smaller goals 
Maybe you don't know where you want to be at 60 yet, but you know what? Maybe you want to be at the end of the year, right? Maybe the month or even the week. Mm-hmm. Continuing to have a plan uh, in, in place and goals that you've set and a, and a final destination in your head, you know, or, or an ending point, you, those are things that you, you really do want to practice because it keeps you motivated. It keeps you driven. I mean, can you imagine someone who, or a group of people running a marathon and then the people never told them when it ends, you know, so it could have just been a a city block or it could have been like all up and down the whole of Austin. And the truth of the matter is, is that now they gauge how much energy they're going to put forth in the beginning versus how much energy they're going to put forth later based on that final destination. And it can be very demotivating if you do not have a final destination and you don't know roadblocks could not just be like in for a pilot who is heading to Jamaica, taking his passengers from, you know, the States to the islands. If he does not know what his final destination is and he sees a storm, that storm now will communicate to him that you should have never went down this path in the first place go back to the airport that you came from. (laughs) But if you know that your final destination is Jamaica and it's so that people that want to go to Jamaica can get there, then what you're going to do is you're just going to simply say, okay, I'm going to course correct and I'm going to try to find a way of how to still get there. And you can gauge your gas because you know where it's going to be and how much gas you're going to need. You know, you're, you're going to know certain things, certain information that you need. So it is very important. A lot of people, you cannot just say, I want money. And I'm struggling right now. No, you're being reactive now. We're going back to the proactive versus reactive. Having an end in mind is absolutely essential for you to have a good plan. You have to have a plan. Mm-hmm. It's good to have short-term goals and it's good to have long-term goals. So, Even with your health. Right. You know, you, you say, I want to get into this size or I want to be at this weight. And you're working towards it. You know, most people don't really just say, ah, I just want to lose weight and willy nilly about it. Like usually they say, okay, this is what I want. And we're so free and easy to do that. But we have to do that with everything, even your children. At the end of the day, what do you want for your children? Right. You just want to raise them and, and let just what be, let it happen, whatever, let what happened just happen. Or do you actually have an end goal? And I'm talking about you as a parent. I'm not saying that they are not going to, you know, take control of their own life at some point and then have their own end goals. But you as a parent, what did you want of them? Do you want a confident, happy, healthy child? Do you want a child that understands the value of money? Do you want a child that understands the value of relationships? Do you want a child that that understands um, the, the atmosphere that they live in, wherever they live? Like, you have goals. So right. apply these things to every part of your life. So one of the things I encourage people to do is have daily goals that support your larger goal. So you can have a goal like, what am I going to do today? Then you could say, what would I like to accomplish this week? What would I like to accomplish this month? What, what would I like? Where do I need to be at the end of this year? Um, you may want to have longer term plans like where do I need to be in 20 years? But or where do I need to be in 60 years, depending on how old you are? And so it's important to have these goals, to set these goals, even financially. Your financial decisions today is going to affect how your tomorrow looks. So 
you don't want to wait even for let's just say to begin to start for retirement because you know compound interest on many investments that you start at the age of 20 let's just say there's a young viewer um, could reap great rewards if you start earlier than if you start later someone trying to start their retirement saving plan um, and they're 60 and they have five more years left well you're 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 gonna fight almost a losing battle at that point in time you're gonna have to come up with some really radical ways of investment while a person that did it earlier so it's important to have these these plans um, and to even go further um, I as a minister, um, I would always ask them, OK, not only, you know, question two years, 20 years, then I say 200 years. Say, what what do you want for your life in 200 years? And what is that going to look like? And it causes them to look at themselves as a spiritual being. Do you believe in God? Do you believe um, that there is a life after death? And at least begin to. Um, some people don't believe that they could ever find that answer, but I'd like to challenge people. I always like to challenge people. I don't have to, they don't have to believe what I believe, but I'd always like to challenge people to at least ask that question and to really take that question seriously, because it may end up determining how you choose to live your life, what you choose to believe, because, um, because at the end of the day, you really wouldn't, you don't want to just simply live for right now if it is a possibility that there is more to come. And I believe that there is. And so I always like to challenge people to say, where are you going to be in 200 years? And how are your decisions that you make today going to impact that that kind of life that you're going to live? And so here are some here are some things that they leave. They say that you should everyone should have a plan so you should and it should be challenged even on a daily basis. So you need to be looking at a mission, a mission statement that is going to be able to keep you on a working operating level, just like a pilot. He has his all his panels in front of him, making sure that he's on track. Even if he goes off, the GPS can keep him back. You need to have a mission statement. You need to have a vision statement. And I've added one thing, which is a promise. And as a believer and as a Christian, um, and I'm thinking not just 20 years, but I'm thinking 200 years from now, where is my life? And so I'm guided by the word of God. And one of the promises that I kind of hinge my mission statement on is Isaiah 58 that says, some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your city. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Well, as a marriage and family therapist, as someone that my passion is the family. So as Rita generally will tend to deal with the financial element, I'm always looking at the relational element um, because that's my passion in life. And so um, so Onyx family is like a passion for me to make people laugh, but it's also to sort of set an example and give people some hope and some laughter during some challenging things. So we may talk about arguing together, but we make them laugh and make them also think. And so everything is guided by a stronger principle because I have the end in mind. So what guides me, even even the skits that we do, everything that we do, um, everything that I do, it's guided by this promise that I will be seen as a restorer of homes found in Isaiah 58. Because it's important, your life is important to me, your family's life is important to me, and I want to always be here. And so we have the question and answer periods, and we have opportunities for you to be able to reach out and to connect and to be understood and to be able to to be able to get some guidance. And I, I love that. That's my passion in life. And so that guides me. So how that informed my vision statement and my mission statement um, 
my vision statement is a, a broader statement that is the whole. It's almost like taking all the pieces of the puzzles together and it's the whole. It's that it's that 20 year plan, that 200 year plan. It's the long term. And so my vision statement says that I want to evolve myself, healing dysfunctional families and restoring homes around the world. That is my that is my vision healing and restoring homes around the world. I do it through laughter, but the serious element of it all is sharing the love of God to all. So while there may be laughter going on, while there may be um, comedy going on, my desire is that I will be an element of light to the world so that I will be able to help heal families. And then um, my mission statement, so the vision statement is the long-term plan. And I read this every day. I try to read this every day to keep myself on track. And then my mission statement is more simple and it's a daily, it's sort of like a daily reminder to help me achieve the vision. So your mission statement helps you achieve your overall global vision. And so every day I can track myself based on whether I am fulfilling the mission. And the mission statement that I have every day that I read is love, live, work, share. Very simple. Am I loving? Am I living my life? Am I working hard and am I sharing my talents? And these are the things that kind of guide me. That's awesome. So habit number three, put first things first. Putting first things first. You know, we need to live each day on principle. It is just so easy for us to get up in the morning and to, to just kind of begin to react and begin to just sort of like go with what feels good um, or or don't do based on what feels bad. But putting first things first is sort of living on principle and making sure that you're living um, with the most important things um, uh, ahead of you. We one of the, I, I'd like to give you an example. Um, the last time that we spoke, we talked about when we were homeless and just a certain circumstances came all together. It was a it was a perfect storm, but we certainly take responsibility for the choices that we made in our lives that led us to that homelessness. And and at the end of the day, it got it went from bad to worse. And then we made another decision. And I have to take ownership of this decision because I remember when we lost the home and then when we could not afford to even be in that rental property and the bat came at that point in time, I, got, I was really frustrated. And I, at that point in time, when I realized that this was it, like we were going to have to leave, I said to Rita, I was like, Rita, I was like, we're going to have to do something different. I was like, you know what? Maybe you need to go to your, you know, maybe you need to go to your mom's. Well, actually, no, I actually first suggested maybe we need to go to my mom's. Let's just take a few, a few months and let's just figure out how we're going to let's pull together. And maybe during that time period, you'll get your nursing license and then we'll be able to have the two incomes and we'll be able to start catching up again. And of course, Rita had said, you know, I don't think that that's a good idea. I don't want to, you know, move back into your, your mom's house, not because she didn't. She knew my mom would absolutely open welcome us with open arms, but she just didn't want to be placed in that awkward uh, position and humiliating position to be not going to work and my mom going to work and she would be sitting there waiting for this license to come and who knew how long it would be well we now know how long it was it actually took a full year and so it would have been a very long time for for um for rita to have been there and not be able to be productive and so 
we I said to her, well, okay, if we can't go to my mom's and I have to be working and I have to stay in Canada, maybe you can go back to your parents' home just for a short time, get a job, and then maybe I can go back and forth and we can um, catch up and then you can come back to Toronto. And then we can, by that time, maybe your license would have came in or whatever the case may be. Well, in retrospect, now looking at that decision, it was a very reactive decision. It was reactive because now I'm looking at, you know, oh, yeah, well, this is a bad situation. Let's get on top of it. And I wasn't really looking at the principle of things. And I'm, I'm sure we could have probably brainstormed and looked at some um, options that would have been more in line with our principle. And the principle that I feel that I violated was that our families need to stay together. We need to stay together. And if we're going to do it, let's do it together. And I'm sure that we could have found another option. I think maybe going to my mom's would have been the easiest one in my mind, but the easiest is not always the best. Um, maybe downsizing on the, the, the rental property, compromising on the neighborhood so that we can at least be together. But I went for the one that seemed the easiest, but it violated a principle that we didn't want to violate, which was that we need to keep our family together. Our children were young. We felt that they always needed to have a father and a mother in the home that they were able to, to consistently see. We didn't want to create that trauma of us being apart. And so that was one of the challenges. Rita went to Dallas as I had asked her reluctantly. She didn't want to. And I went to my mom's and, um, and we ended up being apart for about six months trying to catch up financially, um, trying to catch up financially, but it really, we began to actually see um, the effects of that reactive decision in our children, didn't we? And you, you were there to see it firsthand. Yes, I saw the change coming over my children. I sensed a sadness and a depression, and I feel like they, we, we explained to them why we had to do what we had to do, but I know that they're still kids and they were still probably thinking, yeah, but does my dad not have to be here? You know, does he have to be over there and you're over here? And it was so much stress. We were arguing over the phone, you know, and now we had the option of just saying, fine, you know what? I'm just not going to pick up. And it was just like, it, it was, it was a really stressful situation. And I really say to myself that, um, like if I'm tempted, like if we're going through a particularly rough spot in our marriage, I look back on those days and I say, you know what? No, Rita, get it together because it was worse when we were just apart for those six months. And right. I just really kind of give myself that pep talk and that reminder because it was rough and I don't think I would do it again. And in that way, like if we had to go back and say, whoa, what would you, what kind of decision would you make? I would say, oh, no, there's... We there, ha there's has a, there has to be way. another way to keep my family together. together because that's a principle and making decisions on principle is a part of habit number three, which is put first things first. And we had determined that we we're going to make sure that our relationship, our marriage was going to be put first. And I believe that that was violated by a reactory decision, looking at the circumstance as opposed to looking at the big picture. And so that that is really important that we are putting first things first. Now, when we did decide to put the first things first, Rita had the opportunity to stay out there. She had a great paying job. We were we had caught up. Things were good. And she had the opportunity to stay out there and not come back. At that point in time, she still didn't have her license. 
But she decided that she was going to turn down a very lucrative offer to stay out there. And she could have the, the offer on the table was also for me to get a job out there as well. Um, uh, somewhat within my field of um, of what my study, it would be a chaplaincy position and they were promising all sorts of things. Um, but the time was just not right for me to leave. And so I said, I don't think I can leave. You know, I just got to my new church district and I wanted to plug in and, and I was just asking Rita if you'd come back. And she said, yes, I will come back. And she came back and, you know, to, to go into her mother-in-law's house now. So now it was like she put aside everything that in, in her heart that was going to be humiliating and everything because she knew that at the end of the day, I have to be with my family. And so she moved into my mother's house. She, she packed up, she turned down that job position and she moved back and our family was together. And within that week that she came back, her license came in and then she got another job offer in Toronto now that she was with me. And it all happened within a week or two span. But she took the step out in faith based on principle before all of that was revealed, which strengthens the relationship because some people who are not believers, they would say, well, that was all in the works. Anyhow, it was going to happen no matter what. Right. You're right. You know, it's a possibility that it could happen no matter what. And people of faith would say, well, because you stepped out, the Lord was able to open up. And that's how we believe. But either way that it goes, even let's just say that it was going to happen anyhow. And, you know, and that that was the way it was going to go. It still strengthened our relationship because what it told me, it spoke to me that even if there is going to be a consequence for me personally to come back and I'm going to have to have these feelings that I have to deal with and I am going to have to be there without, I was willing to do it anyhow. That strengthens our relationship because it strengthens that principle that we decided to live on, that we're going to be together no matter what. And so, um, and that principle carried over so that when it was time for us to move to Florida, Murthal decided to come, you know, hell or high water, he was going to be with his family. Right, exactly. I looked at how Rita handled the situation when it was when the tables were turned, and as challenging as it was for me, it played a huge role in her example, but also more so the principle of the family staying together played a huge role in why I eventually stepped down, burned my bridge, stepped down from ministry and and um, traditional family practice and decided to follow my family to Florida to pursue this. And it paid off once again. Someone could say, well, you know, a believer could say it was all a part of God's plan. And as we walk in God's plan, God opens doors. Somebody that doesn't believe may say, well, that's just how it was. And, you know, this is how it was. Regardless of either way, we believe it was God. But it either way that it goes, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, when you live by principles, you strengthen your relationship. Because now, Rita now sees that I love her so much that I'm willing to step out and to be able to make a decision for her, just like how she made for me. And so our relationship is strengthened by these experiences. And so that's why I was sharing with you guys that these habits, we have put it into play in our lives and we have seen how it has worked out and it strengthens our relationship so that not only are we developing 
financial empires and we were applying these principles to our business, but all along we are creating a happy home. And so we want to continue sharing. So the next one is habit number four, think, win, win, think, win, win. Now, when you're thinking win-win, there's several ways that you can think. You can think um, win-lose. A win-lose is if I win, you lose. Win-lose people are prone to use position of power, credentials, or personality to get their own way. So they'll manipulate, they'll push, they'll shove. So long as they win. But if I win and you lose, then that doesn't, that doesn't really work out. And I feel for a long time... Um, circumstances and the way that I would relate to you, honey, was sort of like a win-lose. I was in Toronto. I was in ministry. I was in my hometown with my family. Um, and my life was a win. But unfortunately, when you looked at your life, it was a lose. Well, that's because I always felt everything I was doing was reactive. You know, it was like, okay, we got married. And that was probably the last proactive thing I did for years. After that, it was, oh, I'm pregnant now. Okay, well, let me do this. Oh, um, we're moving to, Merthel got a call to his, you know, Toronto. Okay, we're moving to Toronto. Okay, you know, we're there for a couple of years. Oh, we have to go move to Michigan now. So now I'm like, okay, let me try to get into school over here, finish up schooling. You know, three years into it, I'm not done yet, but hey. You got to call back to Toronto, got to pick up and move. Oh, wait a minute. Can't finish out in Toronto. Let me move to upstate New York um, so that we could be on the border. It was just constant reacting, reacting, and what, reacting. And what Rita was talking about was after she had started the nursing program in the States. And so she tried to move back into Toronto where I had work. But the schools in Toronto, the nursing schools in Toronto would not accept her education, the partial education that she had started the nursing program. So we had to move. The reason why we're in Buffalo, and many people probably didn't know this, but the reason why we lived in New York, but I worked in Toronto is so that Rita would be able to finish her education. All of the education that she had done in Michigan would have been thrown out because uh, the Canadian nursing program wouldn't so you kind of see the challenges in our life we were trying to find a win-win i'm canadian she's american we're trying to find this win-win situation where everything works out but unfortunately with all our efforts i think our efforts were great because in our efforts you see we're living in buffalo but working here it's showing that we're making the efforts but the the actual win-win taking place was not necessarily taking place in Rita's life. She I was... didn't feel like it. I mean, I had a beautiful family and right. I had healthy children. And so that was, that. I, I didn't think though that that was a problem, but I meant like almost everything else, mm -hmm. you know, ended up getting a back injury. I mean, it was, it was a really stressful, hot mess. Right. And I just constantly felt like I was reacting and I felt like I kept getting the short end of the stick. Like, well, Rita, you're going to have to make this work. Well, Rita, got a back injury, still got to work. Well, Rita, just had a child, you still got to work. Well, Rita, like it just kept on feeling like I had to keep making things work. And it was just like I was getting very, very tired. I think that I think that sometimes when you have a win-lose kind of situation, the reason why you really need to figure out how you can make it a win-win situation is because a win-lose situation, no matter how it works, 
it could either flip back to be a lose win for the other person or it could end up being a lose lose and that's the challenge the challenge is is that eventually if one person is unhappy then everybody is threatened to be unhappy and then now it becomes a lose lose situation where both people lose and nobody's really getting what they want and so um so it, it becomes very important that we try to create win-win situation. And so, but that to me, I felt like our win-win situation was progressive because life is complicated and it just doesn't always work out right away. Well, you have to have courage. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my thought on it. You have to have courage. I mean, some of these podcasts, we're just going to just have real talk here, real talk. And I think you have to have courage sometimes in order to make it a win-win. I think looking back, had we had more courage, we could have made some adjustments where it was more of a win-win. But sometimes we get so caught up in the rat race and so caught up in our cycles that we're afraid we're going to lose a little bit that we still are retaining. And then in the end, anyway, we lost it all. Right. So, yeah, you know, I think if we had more courage, it could have been more of a win-win. Maybe I wouldn't have been as frustrated. Maybe I wouldn't have been just ready to just like, I'm going to Florida no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, that and right. maybe maybe if I because what happened was. If I if we had made more of an adjustment, been proactive and made a situation that felt more of a win win, no matter the circumstances, because I would complain, I would complain. And Merthel would say, well, this is just the circumstances. Right. You know, you got to just. This is what I, I'm not saying you have to do this. Our circumstances are saying this. But I always felt like if our circumstances are saying this, why is why do I feel the circumstances are only talking to me? Right. And and things and, and I in retrospect, I've looked back and I've realized that I could have done so much more to make sure that Rita is understood um, so much more to make sure Rita saw that I was working as hard and as diligent as possible to create a win win. So I would. Certainly, I have. You I know, didn't see it like that, though. I saw it as you maintaining the status quo. Right, and, and that's what, and that's what I'm saying. I think that I I did I did too little, I did too little to create an atmosphere of win-win, and I was willing to maintain the status quo. So even though I there was times where I would have applied, I'd, I'd apply to other um, districts in America, and I didn't get I didn't get a call. Um, I didn't get a pickup, meaning that I didn't get a job anywhere else. And so I stayed in Toronto, but so much more. I felt like there was so much more that I could have done to show Rita that I am diligently working tirelessly to make sure that we're creating a win-win situation so that you don't have to feel as though things are only going to go my way and things are just going to stay here because we don't have another choice. This is just all that's going to be. And there was so many other ways that I could have um, done that. And in retrospect, I I look back at that situation and um, and it created sort of like a tension because I did not approach a situation with uh, showing Rita that, you know, win win is just an absolute must and not allowing life to just kind of like flutter back over onto my court so that everything is going my way. But I am diligently sympathizing and empathizing and, and understanding and doing whatever I can. I believe that it created a tension and it's like a tea kettle boiling, boiling, boiling until the point where when Rita finally got the opportunity to move to Florida to start her own company. I think that not only did she know that she was going to take it and she no matter what she was going to take it. But I also understood that this 
now was a sign to say it's time for you to let go and do something that you were not courageous enough to do in the first place. Unfortunately, I wish that I had had the courage to handle the situation in such a way that I was more bold to step out to prove to her more than than her having to fight for it because then it would have communicated even better uh, a better message to her that I was on her team and I'm searching for a win-win but um but in the end I believe that that it was communicated in the end at the end of the day that um that I knew that I had to invest back in her the way that she invested in me I had to make similar sacrifices that she had to make and I had to walk a day in Rita's shoes so that I now was uncomfortable in America couldn't work um not knowing what I'm going to do with my life, no longer at a, a job and a career that I had been working for for 17 years. The shoe was now on my feet. And you were angry. Yes, and I was frustrated. Yes, I was very. I've angry. never seen him persistently this angry. Right. And the thing about it is, is that I never understood Rita's frustration and I never understood Rita's anger until I, until the tables turned. And then now I was sitting in that the, in that same place. And so like this is real talk now, like when the ships were burned and we moved and all that stuff, it was it was a very tumultuous time. I would say that if I was to look at Rita's life and, and our 20 years of marriage, I would say that the first few years of our marriage, it was most difficult for Rita because she walked away from her family, her culture. She did everything around her was unfamiliar, including me, because we didn't know each other that well. We mm -hmm. had only known each other for like a year. So so everything was just tremendous, like her whole life overturned. And so after when I went through my turmoil, my turmoil of 20 years of marriage only happened maybe 16 years in when we made that move, when we made that move in 2015 and we were going through this process of me letting go of ministry and stuff that was my turmoil point that was my time to experience what she had been experiencing all along and i feel that it has brought me closer to her because if i didn't experience that i would never have understood her story in the beginning of our marriage until until i felt those same emotions and now i feel like it has drawn us closer because now i actually understand her I understand the pain that I helped to inflict. I understand the, the 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 uncomfortability and the role that I played in in making her feel just as isolated as other circumstances. Mm. This is real talk. I mean, I don't think we both anticipated that our podcast would turn into almost like a counseling session. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm so glad that we were able to do this first part of these seven habits because tomorrow we're going to go through the rest of the habits and we're going to really be able to delve into it. I really hope you guys learned some things about your life. Sometimes we're going to be just talking about concepts and we're going to be able to you know, relate it to our marriage and maybe you can relate it to your marriage. We'll relate it to our business. You can relate it to your work or business and our kids, your kids, whatever it is. We're here to help you just evaluate, think on a deeper level because at the end of the day, your life is your life and we all want to live with help, happier homes. We both all want to live 
and have financial empires, even if it's not necessarily like, you know, a Vanderbilt or an Astor or something like that. I'm using like these old families. I'm saying that we all want to be financially free and we all want to be honest with ourselves about how to get there. And we need to be honest because in order to have a happy, healthy home, money in the bank, healthy bodies, healthy relationships, all those things, we need to be real. And so we're going to continue to be real. Right. So we just want to encourage you all to, in your relationships with your children, in your relationships with your marriage, in your relationships, in your business, seek win-win. Both people need to win. Agreements or solutions are mutual, beneficial, and satisfying for both parties. That is a must. So if you're if you're looking to live the Onyx life, we are encouraging you to adopt these habits. Be proactive. Begin with the end in mind, but first things first and seek a win-win situation. So the <laughs> next podcast, we are going to share with you the remaining three habits that we have adopted in our family that has allowed us to achieve the success that we have building financial empires and happy homes. Thanks for listening. Join us again Monday through Friday. Show notes are found at theonyxlife.com um, where you can also submit questions through the Ask Us tab. We also are on Facebook, The Onyx Life. Follow us on Twitter, at The Onyx Life. And we're also on Instagram, at The Onyx Life Official. Now go and live that Onyx Life where change comes with challenge. See you next time.